please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Our sermon passage this morning uh, comes from the first four verse, uh, first nine verses of chapter 4 of Philippians. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 982. Uh, but before we turn there, let us turn to the book of Isaiah, uh, that famous chapter, chapter 53. We'll read verses 1 through 6. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's found on page uh, 613 through 614. Isaiah 53, 1 through 6. Uh, Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this is God's holy word uh, given for edification and for our good. Uh, Give your full attention to it. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's turn now to Philippians 4. Uh, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I, also, uh, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let us go to God in prayer. 
O Lord our God, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things out of your word, that the word inscripturated might lead us to worship the word incarnate. So let us... Um, so let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you know this, uh, but we live in a world hungry for peace. You know, everyone seems to have an idea how to have peace in our world, how to have peace in our relationships. And of course, everyone else is wrong. Uh, Some think it will come through the political realm, if we just have better politicians and better policies. Others think it will be through more religion, more temples, more churches. Still others think it will be through technology better iPhones, better computers, what have you. Uh, But our passage teaches us that peace will never, true and lasting peace will never come in those ways. It will not come from below. Peace will come from above. Because it will only be through Jesus Christ. And so here's our big challenge this morning. We should make peace with each other because the God of peace has made peace with us through the Prince of Peace. I'll say that again because I know I said peace a lot. Uh, We should make peace with each other because the God of peace has made peace with us through the Prince of Peace. My point uh, is that Paul encourages us to be peacemakers. Why? Because God himself has made peace with us in Jesus Christ. That's why. And so Paul begins by telling us, My brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. I remember how much Paul loves the Philippians. That's how he started his letter. He said, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all affection of Christ Jesus. Same thing here. I love you. I long for you. You're my joy and my crown. It's like finishing the race for Paul means seeing them at the finish line. Seeing that they too have finished the race. They are his victory crown. They mean that much to him. Uh, But before then, before the race is done, Paul calls them to stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Uh, Paul's goal is that they might stand firm, united together in the Lord. Something he's been repeating all along, which really began in chapter 1, verse 27, where he said, Only let your manner of life, your citizenship of heaven, Be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is still about unity within the community. And so Paul takes that same command and begins to narrow in in a very specific situation in the church. 
Uh, it turns out there's drama in the church. Uh, it really shouldn't be surprising to us, uh, because when isn't there drama in the church, right? Uh, there seems to be conflict and disputes all the time in the church. If you've been in the church long enough, you know this. Uh, in any case, uh, the reality is that families have arguments and fights. Uh, Paul is determined to encourage two disputing women, Iodia and Synthache. Uh, these women were apparently in bitter disagreement about something. Uh, who knows what they were arguing about? Uh, I don't know. Whatever it was, it must have been super serious, though. Uh, otherwise, Paul would not be making a big deal out of it. Their dispute is not small. It was relationship splitting, or perhaps even more, church splitting. So Paul exhorts them to ag agree in the Lord. That's important. I like how one writer puts it. Uh, Paul is under no illusions that Iodia and Synthache will end their dispute with one another on some purely human grounds. Thus he adds to his admonition the qualification that their agreement should be in the Lord. Iodia and Synthache were probably good friends, and Paul encourages them to mend their relationship, not on a human level, but in the Lord. If these sisters in the faith will come to peace with one another, it can't be on any other ground except the supernatural. It has to be sought in the Lord. Because it's God who ultimately gives peace. They are to think after Christ. As Paul earlier said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What then does it look like to agree in the Lord? Uh, we can't be satisfied with agreeing to disagree, right? Because agreeing in the Lord is to answer the question, how do we best reflect Jesus to one another? There has to be resolution, uh, which means there must be deference and mutual submission to each other. Because isn't that what Jesus did? He considered others more significant than himself. Instead of looking with suspicion, he took people's words very seriously. Because he was laboring to make peace. And that's what we have to do if we want to come to agreement in the Lord. Uh, but you know, sometimes we can't do it on our own. Uh, we need someone to step in and mediate for us. Uh, this is why Paul asks uh, someone else to come and help. Uh, we don't really know who that person was, uh, but Paul trusted him. He trusted him to help these women in their dispute. Uh, you can tell because Paul calls him a true companion. Uh, so whoever this person was, he was close to Paul. A companion is someone who is near. Not just in proximity, but also in heart. There's a deep connection there between Paul and this man. Uh, he is to provide help 
in these women's bitter conflict with each other. Uh, to help uh, here has to do with working together to accomplish something. You know what that is? That's teamwork. Uh, this goes back to the race that Paul just talked about. You can't run the race by yourself. So Paul says to this guy, go help your sisters. Run with them and encourage them. Because Iodia and Synthiki have fallen behind and they need someone else to pick them up and help run the race with them. They are one of us. You see, Iodia and Synthiki, like Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Clement, and the rest, are laboring together for the gospel. And by the way, their names are in the book of life. That's a very Jewish way to say they are part of God's people. The Lord has written them with his own hand in his book of life. They belong to the Lord. Go help them. Go and make peace with them. A peacemaking is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Do you know what it takes? Uh, it takes a whole lot of gentleness. Uh, if you can't be gentle, you can't help anyone. You won't bring peace. You'll incite more conflict. I don't know if you know this, uh, but it's super hard helping others in bitter argument. Uh, it's downright depressing sometimes, especially when you're not seeing any good results from your mediation. Uh, so Paul calls us all, not just as individuals, but as a community to rejoice. Uh, have you noticed how many times Paul has mentioned joy in this book? Over and over again. Rejoice! Rejoice always! Oh, by the way, rejoice! Uh, because Paul knows we're prone to forget, especially where, uh, when we are under fire, when our worlds seem to be collapsing underneath us, under the weight of suffering and injustice, conflict and sorrow. So Paul says it over and over again, even in the future tense. Again, I will say, I will say, rejoice. Just in case you forget, I will say it again, rejoice. Uh, one writer calls this a nevertheless kind of joy. Because it's a call to joy despite our circumstances. Despite our hardships and pains, rejoice. I know it's hard right now. I can't possibly see peace from my situation. I don't know how it will turn out. But nevertheless, I will take joy. It's a nevertheless kind of joy that Paul is calling us to. And so from the stance of joy, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I like uh, the NIV here. Uh, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. I think gentleness gets at this better because reasonableness, uh, it's not a bad translation, but it just seems to prioritize logic. Uh, but this is, this is not primarily about logic. Uh, Paul is not making, uh, asking us to show how tight our logic is. Uh, he's not interested on how consistent our reasoning is with each other, how rational we can be, uh, how well we can argue. That's not what Paul is interested um, here. Listen, at the same time, Paul is not asking for you to lay down your reasoning. 
But he is asking you to prioritize something else, to prioritize gentleness. Because logic and reason can actually be an impediment to peace at times. When you prioritize it, it can be a stumbling block. It can actually crush people. We can, we can easily use logic as a weapon against people when, we, when being right is more important than being kind. And so what Paul is calling us to is to demonstrate gentleness. It's about an attitude of kindness to everyone. It's about displaying tenderness and compassion When others are expecting anger and retaliation from you, be gentle. Uh, You know, for people to see gentleness rather than bitterness and resentment is counterintuitive. It's so unexpected because it is radically unnatural for us. And so for Paul, he is pushing us to act in a way contrary to our character, our earthly character. It has to come from heaven. Because this kind of gentleness is from above. James calls it the meekness of wisdom, James 3.13. And listen to this from James' description of it. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Did you hear that? This wisdom from above is gentle. It seeks to make peace with others when others are expecting anger and retaliation from you. And so we're, we're house-sitting for the McNeils the last uh, few days. Uh, do you know what we've been saying more than anything else? Any other phrase? Be gentle. Uh, the McNeils, as you probably, probably know, have a lot of animals. Uh, goats, chickens, ducks, and they have a cat. Uh, his name is Twitch. Uh, but my son, Ames, doesn't know how to be gentle with him yet. I think he's too excited or something. I mean, he does love animals. Uh, Let me tell you, babies can be not so gentle. Uh, Him and Twitch are frenemies right now uh, because he's been playing pretty rough with Twitch. You know, he's pulling his tail and all of that. Uh, And Twitch, of course, he's got the catitude, uh, has been returning the favor Ames may or may not have a few scratches this morning. According to Paul, we should be gentle to everyone, even our cats. Uh, Why? Uh, Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. We should show gentleness because the Lord is close to us. He is in your midst. This is the great privilege that Israel had. If you remember, it's what made them so great. It wasn't because how good they were or how powerful they were. It was because the Lord was near to them. And Israel knew it too. Listen to this in Deuteronomy 4. And for what great nation is there 
that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him. You know, what Israel had, Paul says, that is what the Philippians had. It is what we have. Uh, Just remember who we are. Uh, We were a people who were far off. Now the Lord has brought us near to Him, as as He did with Israel. He is close at hand to us. His presence is among us. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, right? Uh, Psalm 145, uh, the psalmist puts it like this. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Beloved, if you call on the Lord, He promises to be near you. Have you called on the Lord? And that's actually the only way we can ever be gentle with each other. Because living in the presence of God changes everything. Uh, Older theologians call this quorum Deo, uh, which literally means before the face of God. Uh, So here's the question. Do you live in the presence of God? Or do you live as if He is far away? Living in the presence of God is the only way we will ever demonstrate gentleness towards each other, especially with people we find unpleasant, irritating, obnoxious, troublesome, or disagreeable. The Lord is near. When we know that, when we experience that, we can be gentle with each other. And so here's the, uh, something you'll notice with those who live in the presence of God. They're not as anxious as most people. Isn't that true? Those who live in the presence of God are not as anxious as most people. Uh, this is why Paul goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything. Pause, right? If you're like me, you might be thinking, what in the world, Paul? Uh, don't be anxious about anything? Anything? What kind of command is that? Don't you know what I'm going through? Don't you know my hardship? Don't you know my past? Don't you know my present? Uh, Let me just say this then. Paul is not kidding. He means it. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be unduly concerned about your past, present, and future. Uh, Being anxious is an excessive concern about something, especially about the things in your life. Uh, Jesus puts it like this in Luke 12. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then Jesus says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What makes us anxious? Uh, Maybe the better question is, what doesn't make us anxious? But at the heart of it, uh, we are anxious because we are not in control. We don't know what what the future will be like. 
We don't know what the next five minutes will be like. And when we really think about our past, we come to a realization that we were never really in control. And it's the same with our present. Uh, Not being in control makes us anxious. And so notice what Paul adds. But in everything by prayer and supplication, when your anxious heart starts screaming at you, go to God, pray, ask, that He will still your frantic, anxious heart. Prayer. Prayer is the anecdote to your anxiety. It's an act of submission to the Lord. It says, I don't have it all together, but the Lord does. I'm not in control, but the Lord is. And so prayer opens our eyes to the reality that the Lord is near. He is near to us like a father. He's never too far or too busy to comfort our anxious hearts. I like this from 1 John 5. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Uh, Friends, what is our greatest need? What is it? Is it clothing, food? What is it? Well, it's the Lord. Him. The Lord is always happy to give us Himself. If you ask for His presence, He will always be there. And notice what Paul adds. He says, do this with thanksgiving. Uh, Because Paul doesn't want us praying, at least not ultimately, with grumpy faces. It's to be done with thanksgiving, with gratitude in our hearts. That's what prayer does, isn't it? It relaxes our frowning faces. Because we know the Lord is near. Uh, And no wonder Paul goes on to say, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. Prayer leads us where our brains can't. It gives us peace that we otherwise can't understand. I don't know if, you're, if you've ever experienced that before, but it's powerful because the peace of God is powerful. It meets us in the impossible moments of our lives to, to reassure us that God is near to us when we are brokenhearted, when we are depressed, when we are just slandered and hated on. The Lord says, you might not understand it, but come to me and I will give you peace. And that peace, Paul says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace stands like a soldier on guard over our hearts and our minds, ready to strike when conflict and tragedy rise up against us. When we are at war with bitterness and doubt in us, God's peace wards them all off, that you might not despair, that you might not be anxious about what's to come, that you might have the kind of peace that nothing in this world can take away. God's peace guards our thinking and our hearts.
And so Paul calls us to fix our minds on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Uh, There's a lot here. I wish we had a little bit more time to unpack them. But at the heart of it, uh, these are the peaceful virtues we are to think about other people. Truth, honor, righteousness, purity, loveliness, whatever is commendable, things that are excellent, things that are admirable about other people. Again, this is also incredibly unnatural for us because we aren't accustomed to thinking about people like this or like this, like things like this in general. We're not accustomed to it. I don't know about you, but I'm far too critical for that. Uh, this is why we need God's peace to guard our, to guard our minds. Uh, if we're going to think about these things, we need God's peace. We need His peace to slay and guard our worthless thoughts about each other. And in this way, we can fulfill what Paul said earlier to the Philippians. Uh, look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which, which is yours in Christ Jesus. To think this way, then, is to think like Jesus. Uh, no wonder Paul wants us to occupy our minds with them. If we want peace, these are the kinds of thoughts we have to have about each other. Uh, There's a strong tie with what we think and what we do, isn't there? What we think about each other turns into action. That's why Paul follows up with things we must practice. Uh, He said, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, Paul has been hammering this in his letter. Join in me, uh, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Uh, Imitation is part, an important part of the Christian life. Uh, he basically says the same thing to the, uh, to the Thessalonians. Paul says to them, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by letter. And of course, uh, we should only imitate Paul because he imitated Christ. That's why Paul set, uh, set forth Christ as the ultimate example in chapter 2. You see, it's not enough to think well of others. It's important that we practice them with our bodies as well. Uh, Because peace is not simply a mindset. It's a way of life. It involves the mind, the heart, and the will. Uh, Peace has hands and feet. It takes food to the hungry. It visits those in jail. It welcomes the outcasts. It embraces the unlovely. And what does Paul conclude if we think and practice such things? Well, the God of peace will be with you. 
In other words, God invests himself when we think and act in, accordin- in accordance with who he is. Jesus Christ is the peacemaking Son of God. He tells you this morning to come to Him with all of your anxieties and all of your failures. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is your gentle lamb. He's the gentle lamb of God who brought you peace. And you know, Jesus, that lamb, took a beating for you. We read it earlier in our Old Testament reading. The prophet Isaiah says of him, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Uh, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus took head on the violence of the cross to bring us peace. Because you know who Jesus is? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He brought us peace between us and God at the cost of His own life. Because He loves you. Because He loves you. And so the question is, how far will you go to make peace with other people? How far will you go to reflect Him in your relationships? Will you deny yourselves and take up your cross for the sake of peace? Uh, Let me just close with this reflection this morning. Why do we argue and fight? It's easy to think it's about the dishes. It's about the money. It's about the baby. It's about harsh words. I think we have to dig a little bit deeper because those are really just surface things. We need to get to the roots. Uh, most of us think uh, most of the things we argue about are really about our fears, our anxieties, our misshapen identities, our failed hopes, our unmet expectations. And so you need to take all of those things and lay them down at the feet of Jesus. And you know what? You'll find him. As a gentle lamb, he will always be gentle with you. He will guard you with his indelible peace, the only peace that cannot be taken from you. It will not be shaken, not by arguments, not by abandonment, not by suffering, not by hate, and not by even death. The Prince of Peace is with you. You cannot be shaken. And so this means you can always be gentle with other people your spouse, your children, your neighbor, your church. It doesn't matter. You can always be gentle because your Savior is always gentle with you. Uh, Friends, in just a minute, we are going to partake in a meal together. Uh, It's a meal 
to not only remind us, but to also give us peace in our hearts, to comfort us, because Jesus has made peace with us. And so this is a peace meal. It is eaten together to symbolize and to experience again in a tangible way our peace with God and our peace with each other. Uh, Because the Prince of Peace was violently struck down for our peace. Amen? I'd like to invite the elders that we might partake of this meal. Let us pray. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you praise and thanksgiving for giving us your scriptural word in which we encounter the word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for instructing and encouraging us to make peace with one another. Help us to remember all the week long to display gentleness to one another and to our neighbors around us. Take our, take our restless hearts and give us peace as we continue to make our way home. And we reflect Christ and his gentleness to sinners as we journey to the celestial city, the new Jerusalem. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, amen.